We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And yesterday, we had a pod about unlocking Anthony Davis. And that's something that we saw in the Utah game. Uh, LeBron James was out. Lonnie Walker was out. AD had 29 points on 11 of 18 shooting. But the Lakers gave up 139 points D to the Utah Jazz to fall to two and eight on the year. And that two and eight and this game right here, for me at least, represents the end of kind of phase two of the season so far. Phase one was training camp and then the preseason. And then the first 10 games, I know this is something that some coaches adhere to, some coaches don't, but it's not necessarily uh, from Darwin's perspective. These first 10 games, the Lakers when you looked at the schedule, it was like, ooh, Lakers have a pretty rough schedule to start the season. And then Utah, out of nowhere, is good. They're the number one seed in the Western Conference at nine and three. And so Amazing. a couple of the games, right? A couple of the Amazing. games in there that we thought like, hey, they got two against Utah, a couple chances to get cheap ones. It's different circumstances. And then, you know, teams like Golden State and the Clippers are playing well below, I think, where we think they'll end up, is specifically in the Golden State's case. But they'll never have a hard time getting up for the Lakers, right? So between talented teams and teams that are playing well, you looked at the first part of the schedule and like, ooh, Lakers kind of have a rough road ahead of them. But two and eight, D, two and eight is rough. The Lakers have taken their lumps. Um, I'm very curious about the morale of the team. A lot of times we will zoom in on the X's and O's and things like that, but giving up a buck 39 is something that I think is indicative of a level of spirit that I've seen diminish over the last few games. And I'd love to get into that. And just in general, D, where, where's your head at after the game in Utah? So I start to drift towards what people around the team are saying, right? And so Darvin was, I think, a little bit defiant in his media availability after the game comments like they didn't bring me here to lose. We're not going to continue to lose. We're going to turn a corner. And this is all a part of the process. These are sort of cliche types of things to say, but I don't. And Darwin can drop a cliche and a turn of a phrase here and there himself, but you never feel like he's saying something just to say it. He mm -hmm. doesn't 
not seem like that sort of man to me mm-hmm. in general, like, or that sort of person, right? So I feel like when Darwin talks, he says it from his chest and he says it because he believes it. And so I too am interested in the morale of the team. Um, let me say this in terms of the jazz game specifically, that was the first half of that game. And even some in the second half, I thought that was a like tip your cap to the other team in They're in playing so, so well. many possessions. Yeah. They're playing so well and their shot making is at such a high level um, from multiple players too. And so even in the first half, the Lakers held a, like they, they held Markinen down very well, but there's Jordan Clarkson coming off like screens and almost jumping. Like he wants to draw a foul and then the whistle doesn't blow. And he sort of like double pumps a little bit with his form. Like it's not a clear double pump, but he's sort of Mm -hmm. like hanging and then he clutches a little bit and then he just fires up a shot. And like that goes in, you go under on one screen against Mike Conley, you go under on one screen and he's just like, thanks. I'm knocking this three down because you went under this one time. Like, oh, you got wiped up in the wash of a screen? It's like, thanks. Thanks for that. Because this three is definitely going down, right? Malik Beasley's like, oh, I'm opposite side spotting up. Oh, I'm wide open on this one possession. This one possession that I'm wide open? Like, that three's definitely going in. Even Markinen. After being held down in the first half, and he took it to AD several times in the third quarter, and AD mentioned that post game, like, like mm-hmm. those are sort of unforgivable plays. Like I take responsibility for that. Like and 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 so AD knew that he needed to be better, and that's after the fact. I think even in the moment after it was like the second straight one, he like looked to the bench, I think, and signaled like, "Hey, my bad. There's no more of that." But like. The run was already in full motion at that point. And even though Markinen didn't really take it to AD the rest of that time, it was just like, oh, there's Malik Beasley again. And there's another guy just hitting another three. And so Utah, Utah played so well, Pete. And so on some levels, I wonder how that does impact morale. Is that one of those ones where it's twisting the knife a little bit more? Or is it one of those ones where just like, oh, whatever. That was one of those ones where it's just like, that's not going to happen every day. And like, you can turn it off. So what do you think about that idea in general? Because there's a cumulative effect of stuff too. And the fact that they saw them twice in four days and they did the same thing in both Mm. games, it's sort of just like, that can be a little bit dispiriting, but there are some sort of built in, like we didn't have our guys and this, this, that, and the other. And he spoke to that a little bit, but he's like, we're two and eight. It sucks to yeah. be two and eight. And I think that part of things is going to start to wear on them. So when you were naming the various Utah players that were significant characters in yesterday's game, I was thinking that guy's better than almost everyone we have on the team, right? That guy's better than almost everyone we have on the team. Well, especially and, so offensively. Especially right, exactly. Off, yes. And so that plays into that whole idea of spirit in morale is that if you – do something and you keep doing it and it doesn't work and the result is the two and eight at the end of it it can you can not do the thing that you're supposed to do correctly the next time because there's this very even subconscious like well what's the point 
It doesn't matter if I do the thing that I'm supposed to do. It's still not going to work. And so that's how, to me, 139 points happen, regardless of how well Utah played, right? This is something that they scored 131, I think, in the other game that we played them, or 130, right? And so I think it speaks to a couple of things. And playing that team, they were the first team that we played a second time. And so I have a lot of uh, questions about about where Darwin's going to go from here. I think that this sample to start the season is enough at this point to where you can start not drawing conclusions, but we see patterns, right? One of the things that strikes me, D, is all of our games go very similarly to each other. Like the starters will start out and they'll be down a little bit by the time the bench comes in. And at the end of the first quarter, we're usually down. I think we've only been you know, ahead once, uh, but it's not by not by much. We go on a big run to end second quarters, and we're like, "Hey, look at us, we're tied at halftime!" And it, like that group just or played up really by five, well. Or up by seven, or whatever. Right. And then in the third quarter, it we've had really bad third quarters, and that happened once again. And so, over the course of ten games, when you see the same thing happening at the same points of the game, that's something that I think should draw a coach's attention. And so that is where you start to lose kind of that buy-in. And especially when you're playing small, this is something too, D, that I think that it's easy to go to, oh, this is the thing I've been hoping for and it's going to work. I don't know if it's going to work, right? But I do think that we've gone unconventional with our lineup from the perspective of 80 at the five, which isn't that unconventional, but also three guards a lot of the time and uh, or two guards with Troy Brown. But we've been very small on the court for a great deal of the time. And so I would love to get your thoughts 10 games in on those small groups, because I'm very much in that place where I like them and I think there's a place for them on the team. But I don't think that can be the only look that we have. Yeah, we've talked about this a lot within the context of, um, and I've made the baseball comparison a bunch, right? Where if you're Mariano Rivera, Mario, Mariano Rivera was a one-pitch pitcher. And he went to the Hall of Fame on being a one-pitch pitcher, and he's probably the greatest closer of all time as a one-pitch pitcher. He threw that cutter fastball thing. It moved some, and guys just couldn't get a handle on it. Every once in a while, he lost a big one, but for the most part, he was dominant. And that's just what, what it was. In basketball, that doesn't work, basically, ever. It just doesn't. Even a team like the Warriors, um, those prime Warriors, the Kevin Durant Warriors, right? Like, they didn't start always with, like, Draymond Green at center, right? It's just like, they had a big look. It's just like, oh, look, there's Andrew Bogut, or there's Kevon Looney. And they would switch it up some, right? And... The Lakers aren't a one-pitch team, but they are like a one-and-a-half-pitch team. And good teams are usually two or three or four-pitch teams, mm-hmm. right? They have the full arsenal there. They are they are Randy Johnson or Greg Maddox or whoever other Hall of Famer type type of guy you, you want to discuss. And so one of the things that I think, and we've talked about this offline, and I don't think it's wrong for me to share here, is that, and you've said it on the pod too, so whatever, is that the Lakers do need a too big look. And they have not been able to get to too many too big looks this season. Um, They did against the Jazz, actually. And I thought that those looks were good 
offensively. Like we talked about all of the stuff that the Jazz did to the Lakers defense. Well, the Lakers did a ton to the Jazz defense. Now the Jazz aren't a particularly high level defense, but they scramble and they're quick and they're athletic and they've got some size and they pose some problems. But what did the Lakers do? They said, you know what? Well, we've got size too. And our size is more athletic than your size. And we're just going to take it to you in the paint. And that's what they did. That's what they did. And even against the Cavs, you saw a player like Wenyan Gabriel make some inroads just by being a long and athletic player who plays with motor. And typically, you want more size and more athleticism on the court. And one of the things that I thought was interesting with the Lakers, and part of this was because LeBron wasn't available, the Lakers made their first subs in the first quarter and in the uh, third quarter, they brought in Russ, but they brought mm-hmm. him in for Wenyon. Right. Right. And I think a part of that is probably the level of non-shooting you can have on the floor at any given time. Right. And so like Wenyon is not necessarily a shooter. He is someone who's going to live around the paint. Well, Russell Westbrook's not necessarily a shooter. He's someone who's going to live, live around the paint. They may play different positions. And have different roles, but their strengths and weaknesses are sort of the same in their own little ways. But the Jazz's ability to stay big and stay skilled, whereas the Lakers' inability to stay big and stay skilled mm-hmm. at the same same time, I thought that was sort of a small yeah. little difference that compounded itself over the course of the game. And it led to those 139 points, I thought. This is something, the decision to go as small as we have, for one, it's built into the roster, right? Remember when we were at five guards and we were like, hey, we got one too many guards. And then we signed another guard in Dennis Schroeder who hasn't made his debut quite yet. But my suspicion is that Darwin has chosen to go small as a means of trying to correct his shooting problem and his skill problem, right? That this is not a team that has a great deal of outside shooting. And it's something that if you put too many of those guys on the court at the same time, which we often saw last year, you can cause some significant issues on on offense. But the reality through 10 games has been, I don't think we have a lot of great solutions to our shooting issue aside from shooting better. Now, there is there are things that we can do to kind of free things up. You know, I'm not really trying to get into all of that right now necessarily, but from a coach's perspective, one of the things I've learned about myself, D, is that over the last couple of years is how passionate I feel about the idea of how you play a bad hand. Like Mike's not here and I don't want to speak too deeply for him, but I think one of the points that he's been trying to make in our conversations is like when you have to be perfect with your lineups, perfect with your rotations, perfect with everything that you do at some point, like that means you're not, you don't have the guys. You're not very good. Right. And so it poses a question of like, well, what's the point that I think is super interesting on this team because it's led by a couple of number one picks overall. So the whole idea of, of this team is that like we're in a bad spot. We're two and eight. We're a bad team right now that has problems to work through, some of which can be improved upon, worked through and all of that, some of which are just a function of this is who we are. And so what is the point of digging yourself out of the hole to what, dig yourself up to an eighth seed, a ninth seed, a play-in team that's probably going to lose in the first round. And so when we talk about morale, uh, I'm very curious to see how the Lakers end up playing a bad hand. So let's take a break. And when we come back, I'd love your thoughts on that. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Pete, before I get into the bad hand part, I think part of the playing the bad hand um, is, or the hand that you're dealt is that I'm not necessarily sure I agree with the point that Darwin has gone to the lineup that he's gone as a solution to his shooting woes. Oh, I think yeah, please address that. Interesting. Yeah. So I think he's played Matt Ryan because of that. Like specifically, I, I specifically sure. think he's played that single player for that reason. But Matt Ryan is not playing 30 minutes a night. Last night in the second half, he basically got one meaningful shift. And Darwin recognized the fact that in the first half, Ryan really had no one to guard. So he played him a real shift in the first half. And Ryan got attacked. Oh, he got his butt kicked last night. He, it hasn't been every game. Like, there's been a lot of games where Ryan's been like, hey, we're getting some shooting out of him. He's shooting like 45, 46 yeah. percent from three. Didn't shoot that well last night. But and like he survived on defense. And like, OK, he, and he's been helpful in the plus minus. Last night was a game where they kicked his butt. Well, it's just like, oh, there he is. And he's guarding THT. And THT is just like, look, bro, I didn't get off last game at Staples, but I'm getting off this game. I'm getting downhill. I'm attacking. And THT was on was on his THT stuff, right? And he's like, oh, Matt Ryan? I'm going to bump you Shoulders off. Shoulders going right in your chest, buddy, right? Yep. Hold up if you want, but I'm going through, right? And then it's just like, oh, there's Matt Ryan. He's on Malik Beasley? Oh, like, that's those aren't the matchups that you want. And so Darvin, I think, rightfully decided in the second half, well, we can't go to that card as much. So when I talk about... I think that he hasn't played as big. Remember, before the season started, there was a lot of speculation that Damian Jones was going to start at center. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of people nationally that were saying, this is what I'm hearing. And he started our first preseason game too. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you've got Zach Lowe saying, oh, well, one thing I'm hearing is this. It's just like, how do you think Zach Lowe is hearing things? He's not hearing things because he's talking to a beat reporter. He's hearing things because he's got ties somewhere close to the organization where it's just like, hey, what are you hearing about X, Y, and Z? Oh, well, what I'm hearing is, is this. Great, right? And so I'm not here to, now I'm not gonna sit here and defame Damian Jones, but Damian Jones has not played well to start the season. And... You could tell by his minutes 
that he's not played well because Darwin has basically gone away from him almost entirely and in favor of playing Wenyan Gabriel. The other center that the Lakers signed has not played a single minute and he has not played a single minute because he broke his thumb and he had to have Mm -hmm. surgery, right? And hopefully we'll get updates on Thomas Bryant this week. But I think that in the way that like, I think Darwin has gone to the lineups that he's gone to because these are the players who have been available to him. Sure. No, that's a that's a good distinction. It also really illuminates our lack of forwards, because like in the yes. absence of, you know, one of the bigs isn't playing well. One of the bigs is hurt. Like that's part of the reason why I've been on the when in Gabriel train is because he's like sure. the one JT has been, Darwin out, has been on that train, too. And he is playing. Sure. And he's and that's he's one of the had, things we've learned over 10 games. Wenyuan was a DNP at the beginning of this 10 game stretch, and now he's in the rotation. We'll see what happens when TB comes back. But all of these, even though it seems pointless, like, you know, who's your backup five when you're two and eight and things like that, we have more questions to answer at the beginning of the year than almost any team in the NBA, just from a like, who are our starters? What's our rotation? When you've got so many players that, like, and Darvin spoke to this in his post game 2D of like, look, we got three guys taking up a bunch of money yeah. that all these guys, the implication, like all these dudes are like vet minimums and MLE. What do you expect? You know, when we got yeah. LeBron out, when we got, and so this type of salary structure. And so, but that's all the more reason why like getting the small solutions can help the bigger picture lock into place. And that's kind of the bad hand thing that I'm talking about is like, yes. even at two and eight, we got five games coming up that are totally winnable games. We can, we can go four and one over these next five if we if we play well now is that guaranteed is that likely no but the more we make correct small little decisions there's an accumulation to it that still makes it worth it yeah and so look i'm i don't mean this as a critique of darvin at adult right like the choices that are available to him like a lot of times you disagree with choices because they don't work not because they're wrong right Right. Within the context of what is or like. And this is your, I guess, your bad hand. No. Right. It's just like there were a lot of times where I thought last season, Frank Vogel had a bad hand. I did not. I did not agree all of the time with the choices that he made. But I understood within the context of what the available choices were. It's just like he went with what what he went with. And. It's just like I didn't see a reasonable path in a lot of different directions that would have gotten the team to the end goal in which their highest aspirations were. And I think on some levels, that's a what's the point conversation that you were talking about earlier around this season. Right now, especially on the Lakers, that's so title or bust mentality. Sure. One of the things that I will say, and I'll have an article up on this in the next couple of days, probably silver screen and roll. um, But One of the ideas I've been kicking around in my head is that the Lakers are what I've seen is that the two specific players who have been out and Thomas Bryant and Dennis Schroeder, they are specific types of players that are really needed on this specific team. And them not Mm. being here has illuminated that to me even more. What I'm not going to argue is that they are the ultimate solution to those problems and that they will be the round peg in the round hole for this thing that has been missing. What I'm saying is, though, is that their skill sets, they can be very useful to this specific Lakers team. What what are those skill sets? like? How Because I think it's funny, you and I, over the course of our conversations over text and, and whatnot, 
have arrived at a couple of similar conclusions kind of independently of each other, right? It's not something that we were necessarily talking about, but this about those two in particular is something I've been thinking about as well, specific to the, like, we need specifically what Dennis Schroeder does. We need specifically what Thomas Bryant does. And agreed, it's not a magical elixir or anything like that, but I do think they'll be helpful. Like, what are the details of that? Well, I will just say, too, that they're both veteran minimum players, right? And so the expectations of what they can and should should produce is a relatively low bar, right? And so clearing that bar is one thing. Clearing it to the level in which they're going to be super useful players for a Lakers team, that's a different equation. And But they have to be on the floor first before you can evaluate. That said... One of the things that's happened when the Lakers moved Russell Westbrook to the bench is that they have not necessarily had enough shot creation and ball handling considering yeah. LeBron James's transition to being more of a big man and less of a primary ball handler. This is not the 2019-20 version of LeBron where he is starting at point mm-hmm. guard. LeBron made all NBA first team that season at guard. Yeah. That's never going to happen again in LeBron right. James's career. He will make an all-NBA team, I'm assuming, at some point over the next year or two. However many years he has left in the NBA, he'll, he'll, he's still going to make an all-NBA team. I guarantee you it will not be at guard. It's actually more likely it would be at center than it would be at guard, I would argue. And anyways, so in these games, what you've been seeing is that the Lakers have been starting Patrick Beverly as one of the guards, right? They've mm-hmm. been playing a three-guard lineup. He's not a three and D wing. He is a guard. And he's been the one who has been bringing the ball up. And he's been the one sort of pointing guys like, hey, you go over here and you go over there. And he's been organizing the team sets. That is not Patrick Beverly's strength as no. a player. And if you ask him to run ball screens, even 10 of them a game, that's a misallocation of resources related to this specific player and what his skill set is. It's not a demerit on Patrick Beverly. It's not even a demerit on Darvin Ham. I don't think the Lakers want Troy Brown doing that. And I don't think the Lakers want Lonnie Walker doing that. They have virtually no experience doing that. Patrick Beverly at least has experience doing that thing. And so they are asking him to do it in the minutes in which he plays with LeBron and which Russell Westbrook is not on the floor. Do you know who is used to doing that stuff, Pete? Dennis Schroeder, who started at point guard for the Lakers just two seasons ago and was actually pretty good, right? He was fine at doing that exact thing. He is a lead guard. He has been a lead guard his entire life. That skill set is sorely needed on this team when Mm -hmm. Russell Westbrook is not in the game. If you don't agree with me, look at the plus minus stats and tell me Why Russell Westbrook, basically, the team's offense looks great when Russell Westbrook is on the floor, and that's not just necessarily because Russ has been playing well. He has. It's because that skill set is an integral part to a functional offense. It's just what what it is. Then I look at Thomas Bryant, and I'm just like, yeah, you know what? Damian Jones, we mentioned him. He hasn't been playing very well. And so AD has basically played all of his minutes at center. He's had to play a bunch of minutes where he's the only big man on the court, even without LeBron. They've been playing him next to Matt Ryan because they want spacing on the floor. He hasn't really gotten very many minutes with Wenyun Gabriel at all. There are no two, there are no two big looks. He's guarding big beefy guys and then getting sandwiched between guys like Jared Allen and Evan Mobley or, <laughs> yeah. or Lori Markinen and Walker Kessler or Yusuf Nurkic and right and all these guys are just sort of just like just pounding away at him. And 
the Lakers really need another big man to absorb some of those minutes and to help fit some of their front court forward problems to be able to slide AD down to forward yep. for maybe maybe a shift a game, maybe two partial shifts a game, right? Where it's just like, hey, like AD is in the minute of an eight minute shift, but three of those or four of those are going to come with a second big man on the court, the way that he used to start the game next to JaVale McGee, right? So the Lakers have not been, a- been able to do that because Damian Jones has not played well enough, honestly. He just hasn't. And when your only other big men then are Wenyon Gabriel and LeBron James, what the Lakers have been doing is being like, okay, well, we're going to make sure that AD is on the court and he'll get some minutes with LeBron. But when LeBron is on the court, we can't go too small then. So Mm -hmm. Wenyon has been the guy that has played with LeBron. And they tried it with Jones for a while. Jones did not play to the level in which he needed to play. And so they've transitioned to Wenyon. I'll be interested to see if Thomas Bryant a guy who has played 25 minutes a game in his career, a guy who has shown that he can be a starting level NBA center. What's it look like when he's available in a backup role, not necessarily as a starter, but maybe as a starter, what can he do? And so that's where I'm sort of at with like, hey, these two guys, a beefy center who can like guard other big guys who can plays with motor, he runs the floor, can shoot a little bit, is a good finisher inside, has good hands, does a lot of like big man things reasonably well, can attack the backboards. A player like that is super useful. He just is. And the Lakers haven't had that player at all be successful at all beyond Wenyon Gabriel. And I love Wenyon. He's played so well. And you've been like cheerleading him. Right. Like you've been his biggest endorser. But if I were to tell you, hey, you can get 15 minutes a night of like good Thomas Bryant or 15 minutes a night of good Wenyon Gabriel, you would Mm. tell me why not both? Yep. You would tell me why not both. Right. (laughs) Uh I already know you. You would tell me why not both. But you even you know that like Thomas Bryant's a better NBA player than Wenyon Gabriel. Yes. His. Yes. And and that's something, D, when you when you brought up like. Dennis and TB, they're not vet minimum guys by virtue of their talent and production when they play, right? Like you said, Dennis was our starting point guard a couple of years ago on a playoff team that had aspirations and probably would have gone far, had, uh, or at least farther, had not the uh, Anthony Davis injury happened. And so, like, he's he belongs, right? Like he's not one of those guys that's barely hanging on in the league because he can't play. The same thing's true with TB, although for different reasons, right? He's coming off of an injury where, but he's been a 25 minute per night guy. He's been a starter in the NBA. I don't want to, you know, oversell that, that capability, but on this team that is so lacking in players like that, that whole, like fitting into the overall broader scheme is, is really important. And what it comes down to me, D, is like, how do you build around LeBron and AD? This is one of those things that I think we're experiencing. I think we're experiencing, I don't want to say an identity crisis, but we have to like really zero in on that. What do we want to put around LeBron and AD? How do we want these next couple of years to look? And one of the positions that's really emerged to me is the energy big. I think that both AD and LeBron benefit from having a guy next to them that's big and goes. And that's both Thomas Bryant and Wenyan Gabriel in very different ways. The thing I'm most excited about with TB is really more the domino effect that it has on Anthony Davis. He was talking in his press conference after the game yesterday about like, 
That's the difference between 1920 and, and talking about how like I'm engaged in pick and rolls now. I don't get to roam on the perimeter as much. And he wasn't complaining necessarily, but he's also been saying like, guys, I'm a four. I need to play. And so one of the ways to, I think, build around your best players is to listen to them. They know their games and their bodies and uh, a, a lot better than any anyone else. And I think that TB represents not only another big, quote unquote, but TB is a big dude. He's going to hit you. He's going to be physical. He's going to provide a lot of the strength and physicality on a team that doesn't have that, that I think really works next to AD. Whereas I think Wenyan, we found, is a bench big. He's totally a bench big. He's the energy guy off the bench that's going to get involved in a bunch of plays. And I think that's super helpful next to LeBron because he knows how to cut. He knows how to run the floor, great at running the floor in transition a lot of like bench time type of attributes there. And so like, again, these are the little small pieces of the puzzle that seem insignificant over the course of two and eight, but how well they're applied over the course of the next five, the next 10, which really is a stretch D that I think is going to determine a lot of where we go over the rest of the season. I think this upcoming stretch is super important. I think that finding those solutions and winning those battles and hopefully getting TB back, getting Dennis back are part of getting it back on the tracks. Yeah, and I think it's important to say, say too, that like we're in the weeds here of analyzing a Lakers team that is currently, like we've said, to win eight and looks so far away from the idea of being a championship mm-hmm. team that I'm not and we're not trying to frame this conversation in terms of the context of that end goal. Because thinking about that, it's like, I don't know about you, but I get on like Instagram or any of these other social feeds and like the algorithm starts to feed me the stuff that I've enjoyed before. Right. And so like Mm -hmm. I get, I get all these old Kobe Bryant clips of him talking, like here's Kobe talking at at this one interview. Oh, there he is on all the smoke. And there he is talking to some guy on a stage somewhere. And there he is at this, and there he is at that. And there's this one clip where Kobe's talking about how you and there's several versions of this but he's talking about like scaling scaling the mountain and he's just like if you look at the very top of the mountain and you think mm-hmm. that's where i have to go like you'll never get there that's right like it'll look too daunting and he's like so instead what you do is is you put your head down and you go up and you go up and you go up a little bit and then suddenly you're at one little summit and you're just like ah okay and then you put your head down and you go up and you go and, and on and on and on. And, and before and then eventually you you climb and you climb and you climb and you're like, oh, look, I'm actually there now. And that now Kobe often framed that within the context of putting in the work, right? Like the work, the work, yeah. the work. And the work is what gets you there. Work does not guarantee that you will win an NBA championship. And those are the Lakers team goals, right? Mm-hmm. But what I'm talking about is that idea of. When we're talking about a Thomas Bryant or a Dennis Schroeder or how useful Troy Brown can be or what it could potentially mean for Lonnie Walker to be in this sort of role rather than this other role or what happens when Patrick Beverly doesn't have to handle the ball so much or what happens maybe when Austin Reeves gets put into positions where he gets to handle the ball a little bit more, right? These little tweaks and adjustments those can be the difference between success or failure when you're talking about players who are not the elite of the elite who can just do whatever they want on the court whenever mm-hmm. they want to well, to do it, right? I watched clips yesterday of Kevin Durant going toe-to-toe with Luka Doncic and his disordered loss. Like, yeah, these dudes are basketball gods. Yeah. Right? And you can't get there. You can't hard work your way to that. No, you can't. But 
if I ask Austin Reeves to be like, hey, you know what? Instead of just sitting off ball and having an 8% usage rate this season, because based off of the lineups that you're in and what the asks are, instead, you get to handle the ball a little bit more, be more of an on-ball player, and run some pick and rolls. Like, oh, look at this. You actually have this dimension to, to your game, but based off of the slotting and the way that this is all put, put together, those things weren't available to you before, right? Mm-hmm. Like, though, that's, a, that's a little tweak, but that's a tweak that could mean, that could be so much more important. Very similarly, it's just like, if you tell Troy Brown, right? Hey, this possession, you have to guard Lori Markinen. And you're guarding Laurie Markinen because Anthony Davis is playing center and they just brought in Walker Kessler and AD has to guard him. So now you slide up because, and, you, and you're guarding Markinen, who's 6'11", seven foot, because there's no one else now because Austin has to defend Malik Beasley and this other guy has to defend this other guy and on down the line, right? Because you're in with Kendrick Nunn and Nunn has to guard Mike Conley. And those sorts of slotting and who pushes you where, what happens if Thomas Bryant gets to guard Walker Kessler? And now mm-hmm. Anthony Davis gets to stay defending Lori Markinen. And then That's what right. happens now, Troy Brown, you get to guard Malik Beasley. Those little things and that slotting and that pushing and prodding of and the the push and pull and and, and th- those those levers that get slightly adjusted in order to put a player in just a little bit better of a position to succeed. Those things make a big difference when we're talking about the talent level of some of the players who are on the team because they make the minimum or they're a mini mid-level player or they're Mm -hmm. a guy who makes $6 million a year versus the guy who makes $18 million a year. Are those things going to mean the difference between winning a championship and not? Probably not. But I'm talking about trying to be the difference between being two and eight and being five and five. Or being two and eight and being six and four, mm. right? Because those are the incremental steps. That's that's not the mountaintop peak, but that's like the next plateau up. And that's how you build. That's right. The incremental steps that you take help put you in a position to capitalize when things do go a little bit better, when you do have a better environment, better opportunity. That's something that goes beyond basketball, where I'll, every one of us, you know, has something that is vexing us on some level, has some problem in our life, whether it's personal or professional. And I feel like a lot of what Kobe's point was and a lot of the things that he talked about in those speeches was that if you focus on the details, right, that was the name of his show, if you focus on the small details, you end up looking up and you are at a different summit, right? Like there's agency in the present moment that you can't determine all of the obstacles that are going to be in your way on the top, going up to that mountain. And if you just look at the top of it, like you said, it can be very, you know, uh, dispiriting. And that's really my biggest worry with this team is that like, hey, can you fight fight through this? Can you find reason to embrace the moment, embrace the two and eight and embrace the, the small problems of which there are many. And there are some big problems that are that are not resolvable in easy in an easy way. But when you put yourself in a position to fix those smaller problems, oftentimes you'll see the bigger ones start to fall into place as well. So very curious to see how this group manages that as guys who are not typically been underdogs over the course of their lives. I think that's something that that mentality is really important to have. So uh, we will be back tomorrow 
talk some more Lakers, talk some more about where we are after 10 games in. Let's do a, a lineup data pod. We haven't done one yet. 10 games in is a good sample. So let's all come with kind of some of our lineup data that we think is that can help address some of these small issues that uh, collectively add up to the two and eight. So, all right, we will be back then with that. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bat next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around right. for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen. Brian. Unbelievable. For the victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Brian. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.